0: heart is important, correct? How many agree agree with that? Pretty important. You know, they, they say in America, heart cardiovascular issues affect about almost 12% of our country, 11.5, almost 12% of our country is affected by cardiovascular heart issues. The number one cause of death in our country is, guess what? It's heart issues. In 2010, Latest stats I could find, almost, almost 600,000 people died, and on the cause of death, it listed cardiovascular, some kind of issue. So heart health is important, no, no doubt about it. Spiritually, it's just as essential. In Hebrews chapter 3 tonight, we're going to look at heart health. We're going to look at... What a healthy heart looks like, how you get a healthy heart, and uh, how important all this is to us. In the Bible, when it talks about your heart, it's talking about your mind, it's talking about your will. It's talking about your center, it's talking about who you are, okay? So when the Bible says heart, it's talking about the deepest place in your being is your spiritual heart, all right? First thing this evening, uh, let's read verse 7 through 11 of chapter 3, a little background, It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How many of you ever heard an evangelist say that before? Well, it is in the Bible. And uh, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Verse 9, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. And look in verse 11. So I declared on an oath in my anger. Folks, when God declares on an oath in his anger, you better duck, correct? Or you better hope it's not headed your way. They shall never enter my rest. Now, what he's referring to, many of you know this. He's talking about the Old Testament stories found uh, in, in, uh, in Exodus And found in uh, Numbers chapter 20, Exodus 17, Numbers 20, where the children of Israel, God had delivered them out of Egypt. He was wanting to take them into the Holy Land, uh, I mean the Promised Land, Canaan. And they just, I mean, constantly bickered and rebelled and, and argued with God, wouldn't obey God, wouldn't trust God. And finally... This big incident where they—they finally they disrespected their leaders, they disrespected God. God said, enough is enough. You guys, you you enjoy sand, you enjoy the desert, you're going to be here the rest of your lives. In fact, anyone uh, over 20 is going to die here in the desert. This is the background that he's talking about. And he's trying to tell these people... These Jewish Christians, the letter to the Hebrews was written to Hebrew people originally, Hebrew Christians. He was trying to go back in their memory, which would have been a, a familiar story to them, to remind them how important that your heart is spiritually. Again, using a familiar story to them and to many of us who've been in church for years. So let's look and see. First of all, what does a healthy heart spiritually look like? We, we have indicators of what a healthy heart Physically looks like, but what does a healthy spiritual heart look like? Now, you, before I dive into this, you know uh, it's not just coming to church, which is a great thing. In fact, we're going to recommend that tonight. In here, it's not just a, a list of things you do or that you don't do. Uh, it's certainly, if your heart is healthy spiritually, there will be things you do and you don't do. But it's it's much deeper in that so we 're going to get to the root of it number one, a healthy spiritual heart is surrendered and obedient numero uno it is surrendered and obedient verse twelve now what the, what the scriptures do tonight is they give the negative take and i'm i 'm going to help us interpret this in a positive light okay he 's going to lay out the, the negative diagnosis and i 'm going to give you the positive uh, a synonym to this or the, the, the positive diagnosis to it. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's nasty sounding, isn't it? Let's look at that first one. A sinful heart. The word sinful there in your Bibles literally means evil. Morally or spiritually evil. It means malicious. It, it's the person who, in the case in the Old Testament, who were religious people who had an evil heart about them, who rebelled against God. Now, folks, every person in this room, at some point in your life, even if you were 8 years old when you became a Christian, and you didn't realize this, but you were in rebellion against God, weren't you, before you became a, a Christ follower. And many of us as Christians are constantly going back and forth with rebellion towards God, aren't we? Let's look in verse 16 through 18, how well it worked out for them. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Now, he's saying, let's see who these people were. Was it a bunch of reprobates or people who weren't raised well or who didn't know better? Who were these who heard? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? The people he's talking about here who had rebellious hearts, bad spiritual hearts, were people who had a lot of wonderful spiritual things done in their behalf who were led out of Egypt, and with whom he was angry for 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert, and to whom God did swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? It's interesting. We read verse 7 to 11, and then verse 12 and 19. is kind of a commentary, a, re- a repeating of, and a commentary of those verses. Folks, here's the first thing. To have a healthy heart spiritually... You have to have a surrendered and obedient heart to Jesus. I I, I put these together because I think they're one thing. Now, if you're a Christian tonight, you you got baptized maybe at one time, you joined the church, you filled out a card, you, you say you believe in Jesus, that's great. But if you're a Christian, at some point in your existence, at some point, you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. You may not have used those words. You may not have understood those words. But what you did understand was that you were saying to Jesus, here's my life, I'm giving it to you, correct? If you've never done that, you, you, you may smell good, look good, and be good, but you're not a Christian, okay? Surrender and obedience. Now, here's the catch. Don't y'all wish you could have done it one time and been done with it? Wouldn't that have been great? For, for me, 1982, I did it, it's over, done with, the problem is, is I, I, you got to do that every day, don't you? You don't have to be re-saved every day, but surrender and obedience is a daily process. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I want you to ask yourself very honestly tonight, how surrendered and obedient is your heart to Jesus Christ tonight? In other words, if Jesus says, jump, is your response going to be, how high? Or, no, I don't think so, Jesus. Who are you to tell me what to do? If Jesus says, I've got plans for your life that's going to completely... Be totally radical to who you are today. Are you going to say, man, that's exciting. Tell me what's going to happen. Are you going to say, Jesus, I got the rest of my life mapped out. I appreciate your thoughts, but we're okay. Surrendered and obedience is the first part of heart health. Here's the second part. Trusting. Trusting. Verse 12. See to that none of you have sinful Malicious hearts and unbelieving hearts. The word unbelieving there in your Bible means to have a distrust for someone. Here it's God. To live with uncertainty. Folks, the Jewish people in the desert did not trust God. Think how incredible this is. They were slaves under the most powerful ruler in the world, Pharaoh, in the most powerful country in the world. And sometimes you wonder, why did it take Pharaoh so long to get it? Well, the scriptures say in Exodus, he hardened his heart. And then God, uh, is he hardened his heart? God said, I'll harden your heart with you. I think part of the reason you had that process is the Jewish people needed to clearly see that God had kicked Pharaohs out of the ring and he had won the battle. And he did that by the time they left left Egypt. Go back and read Exodus chapters uh, 4 through about 15 or 20 tonight. And if that's not enough, then they get to the Red Sea. You, fi- you remember these stories from Sunday school? They get to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and his army's following them. And then God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. How many of you have ever been to the beach? How many of you have ever walked six or seven miles out in the beach uh, to collect seashells out in the water because the water had been parted? Zero, none, nada. You haven't done that. And then... That Pharaoh then follow them, and then they die in the sea. They had seen this. They had seen God provide for them over and over and over. But they're just like a lot of us. They still didn't trust God. Still didn't trust God. And God finally said, "You know what? The bottom line is, if you're not going to trust me, you're not going to have my blessings." All this goes back to surrender and obedience. Matthew Henry was a great preacher and a Bible scholar in the 1700s. Listen to what he said. Unbelief is at the bottom of all of our fallings and failings with God. That's a pretty deep statement you might have to think about. But unbelief is at the bottom or the foundation of all of our failings with God. Let me give you an example. You know why some of you don't tithe tonight? You don't trust God. You don't trust God that if you give him 10% that he can take care of you. Don't raise your hands, but that's true, right? If I give God 10% of my money, God cannot take care. I do not trust him enough. God's calling you to some kind of ministry or to serve or to teach a class. And you don't trust God enough that if he's asking you to do it, that you can do it, right? That's the truth. God may be calling you to some big obedience to to move halfway across the world or maybe something even bigger in faith. He's calling you to stay right here in Ruston and make a difference. And you know what? It's hard to trust him, isn't it? Some of the big mistakes I made as a young Christian were not flagrant immorality. It was just that I felt like God was leading me to do something and I was scared and I didn't trust him enough to do it. You see, trusting God is at the fundamental basics of our relationship to God. These things that I'm telling you, I'm writing them down on my calendar, my, on, on my desk, in my office. And I'm going to look at every day because I think these are so huge. A, a heart that is healthy spiritually, trust Jesus Christ. It trusts Him more and more. You trust Him with your money, with your time, with your kids, with your lives. You can make hard decisions that are unpopular. You know why? Because you trust God. I heard a great story of a a family. It was a minister and his family were on a mission trip in the Dominican Republic. And they were walking across a busy street... And the six-year-old son got away from the daddy. and He was running in the street. And the daddy could see a motorcycle that was barreling down that lane right toward his son. And he hollered top of his lungs to that boy, stop. He said, the son, stop, dead in his tracks. That is a kid who'd been spanked before, isn't it? (laughs) He stopped dead in his tracks. And that motorcycle came whipping right by that boy going about 40 miles an hour. It would have killed him. But he knew to, to surrender, to trust, and to obey Daddy, even if it didn't make sense. A heart, a heart that's healthy spiritually stays surrendered, stays obedient, and grows in its ability to trust God. Okay? Here's the third thing. It's faithful and it's consistent. Faithful and consistent. Boy, this is a biggie. And in the last part of this verse, he says, See, too, that none of you turns away from the living God. Turns away. That, word turn, that phrase, turns away, literally means to depart from someone or something. It means to be disloyal to someone or something. One thing the children of Israel certainly were is they were disloyal, weren't they? Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days to get the Ten Commandments, and they get restless after all they'd seen, and they make a god out of a, uh, a gold. They make a calf out of gold and begin to worship it. And, boy, it went bad for them right after that, didn't it? Faithful and consistent. We live in a society today. Young people, I want to challenge you all to be different. We live in a disloyal society today. I mean, to, but you know why? Because everything's about us. And so it doesn't matter what other people do or how they love or help or care. If, if it's the best move for me, I'm going to do it. That's never been the right way to do life. You cannot do life with God if you're not going to be consistent. Folks, God is not as excited about you jumping over a pew tonight because you're fired up for Jesus as he is about you being in church six months from now. It's great to jump pews. It's better to walk straight consistently. That make sense? Faithful and consistent. Listen, you absolutely cannot replace this. This is so, so important. If, if you want a healthy heart, here's what you do. You, you make sure your heart stays surrendered, obedient, you grow in trust, and you're faithful and consistent to God. What your kids need, what your husband and your wife needs, everybody else needs, is to see that you are faithful and consistent with Jesus Christ, all right? Now, how do we get a healthy heart spiritually? How do we get our hearts healthy spiritually, I think it's coming on the screen there in a moment. There it is. How is this possible? You know, if you went to the doctor and the doctor said to you, you need to do some things to get your heart healthy. He's going to tell you to possibly lose weight. I always like asking him this. So you went to medical school to tell me I needed to lose weight? Thanks a lot, pal. And they never laugh for some reason. Exercise, eat better. And, and spiritually, spiritually, your heart will not just become healthy. It, it just doesn't happen. You've got to take steps for it to happen. Let me give you, first of all, something to protect yourself from, and then three things that we want to do. The first thing we want to protect ourselves from is, this it, is going to sound generic, but sin. Because sin deceives and hardens our heart. All right, I want a healthy heart. What do I do? Protect yourself against sin. Sin there means disobedience to God and his ways and his word. In verse 13, it says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Look at the last part of the verse. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The word hardened there literally means to be made stiff Are to be made static, in other words, not dynamic, not growing. Here's what happens, guys. When you and I let things get into our life, get into our heart, we become less surrendered, less obedient, less trusting, less faithful. That's a biggie, too. Our hearts become harder. And, And, folks, this normally does not happen in one night. I mean, it's not like you're on fire for Jesus tonight, and tomorrow you're out. Smoke and crack and you've fallen completely away from God. Okay? That's normally not the way it happens. What happens is, is there, there, there's a slow cooling with you and Jesus Christ. There's a distancing. And, and then your heart becomes slowly harder. And it's hard to pick up on this, but you become less teachable, less flexible. You begin to think you got God figured out. And when you got God figured out, you don't need church. You don't even have to read your Bible because, why? Wow, you've read it before. And you understand these things. Been there, done that. You've sang the songs. You, you, you know this. And the Bible says sin is like a false check, a bad check. Sin, sin described here is it's a fraud. It looks real. It looks good. It tastes good originally. It smells good. Folks, sin wouldn't be deceitful if, if it said right up front, okay, if you do this, you're going to ruin your marriage and you're going to end up in Angola for 20 years. Gee, I want to do that, don't you? No. Here's the terrible thing about sin is it comes as fun, right? Sure. It, I said this, I think it was last, two weeks ago. It's not a temptation if it doesn't tempt you, Amen you put spinach and broccoli in front of me all day and I will lose a hundred pounds in three months you put ice cream in front of me all day and you'll be rolling me through the double doors in a couple of months sin comes to you as attractive sin appeals to your ego sin appeals to your pride and then it hardens your heart and slowly but surely you become deceived you become self-satisfied and you begin to have heart problems first thing to heart health is making sure that you protect yourself from the wrong things, okay? Now, what are the positive things that we do? Okay, number one, your personal time with God. How do you, how do you keep your heart healthy? And it's not, we're not just wanting to keep it healthy. We're, we're wanting to get healthier. Personal time with God. Luke five sixteen. I love this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. Guys, This is, this is, it's impossible to have a a strong heart with Jesus if you do not spend time daily in prayer and Bible study, okay? Now, you can come to church, we're going to talk about church in just a second, but we can't go home and make you pray and read your Bible. I wish we could. In fact, I wish we could all have an electrical sensor put under our skin, and that, including me, that if we didn't read our Bible or pray every day at a certain time, we would get a shock. Wouldn't that be great? You know what? We would be the most godly church in America, wouldn't we? Or we would be the most disorganized church in America, one or the other. We can't go home and read your Bible or pray for you. Oh, I need to be fed. You you begin. At some point, you've got to start feeding yourself. Prayer and Bible study. You say, I don't know how to pray or read my Bible. We will help you. We've got tools. We can help you do that. You've got to do that. Here's the second thing, and that's your church involvement. That's your church involvement. And you guys are getting that, obviously. In verse, in verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. It's neat the word encourage there is the same root word. We get our word paraclete from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the Greek, the word is paraclete, and it literally means to come alongside someone. It means to aid them, to comfort them, to exhort them. To exhort means that I may encourage you, but I I may also get on to you a little bit, but I do it in a loving way. I've got my arm around you, and I'm saying, I love you, but you are really dumb, I love you, but you are fixing to get hit on the head by God's hammer, but I love you. <laughs> That's what exhorting someone is. Hebrews 10:25 is a great verse. We will, be, we will look at this later this year. Don't give up meeting together as some are already in the habit of doing. In an interesting, 25 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, there were already people saying church isn't important. Jesus said, "Don't do this, but encourage one another. All the more as you see the day. That's the the final end of times approaching. Folks, one of the important things about church is it ought to encourage us. Now, it ought to beat us up sometimes. It ought to convict us. It ought to challenge us. But even when you get convicted and you get knocked to your knees, the whole goal is to lift you back up. And you guys, obviously, you're here and you're getting it, so I'm preaching to the choir. But don't, don't forget this. Part of your spiritual development, you never can divorce it from church. That is a, that is a uh, In fact, that's a teaching that's against the Scriptures when people say that. You need your church to build you up and to help your heart. And here's the third thing. Good Christian friends. I think certainly when he was writing this, God was writing this through whoever the Hebrew writer was, He had the idea not only of church, but friends. Look in verse 13. But encourage one another daily. Build others up. Exhort, encourage, challenge, motivate one another. You know, most of you know who Jesse Owens was. Jesse Owens was one of the great American track stars. Uh, and In fact, the 1936 Olympics, he won four gold medals. And these were in Munich, Germany, and this was right before World War II. And the Fuhrer, uh, Hitler, was trying to prove that white people were superior to everybody else. And he was greatly disappointed by the end of the Olympics, wasn't he? And so Jesse Owens is a great track athlete. He's, he's in the long jump. And to qualify, he had to, he had to jump a certain distance to, to qualify for the medal round. Well, he gets up the first time, he scratches, which means he, his jump didn't count. He's disqualified. He was jumping too late. Here's the line. He was jumping past the line, the starting point. The second time, he did it again. And if he scratched the third time, he would not get to go for a medal. When a German man who could speak English, another long jumper named Luz Long came up to him, and he said, Jesse, let me tell you what you're doing. You're jumping too early. He said, Jesse, to qualify, you're not going to have any problem at all. He said, let's move, a, let's move a, a jumping point back about six inches for you and let you jump from that point just so you can qualify and get a chance at the medal. Jesse Owens did that. He qualified. Jesse Owens got the gold medal in the long jump. Isn't that awesome? Luz Long was killed in World War II, and years later, Jesse Owens said, my friendship to him and with him meant more to me than those gold medals I came away with. Encouragement. Let me just challenge you, encourage each other. Encourage each other. That builds up other people's hearts. And you need friends. Listen, I understand you're gonna have friends, if you you move in normal cycles of life, you're gonna have friends who are far from God, but you need some friends who really love Jesus. I didn't say friends who are religious. You need some friends who really love Jesus. I want to read you an interesting passage. You can read along with me. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. I'm going to look at it on the back screen with you. He says, I have not written you in my letter not to, not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral, are the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters, In that case, you would have to leave the world. Look what he says in verse 11. But I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, a Christian, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an adulterer, a slanderer, a junker, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. Isn't that interesting what God says? God says you're going to have friends who are not Christians who got a lot of issues. You don't even need to associate with someone who says they're a Christian and who is a jerk. You need to get away from that person. In other words, the person who may hurt you most spiritually is not that guy or that gal that you know is not a Christian. It may be the person sitting on the pew who's a gossip and a slander, slander and a cheat in their business. Folks, if you're reading a book or if you're hanging around people that are making you meaner, that are are, are making you more unkind, more immoral. They're making you more uh, gripy and complaining. You know what you need to do? Burn the book and run from the people. You need to be around people who are going to make you love Jesus and love people more, encourage you, and build your heart up. How do we build our heart up? We protect it from the wrong things. We spend time with God. We come to church and everything that involves, and we, we have some people in our life That can help us. And let me tell you the last thing that's so important. These truths are for you. They're for you. They're for me. They're for all of us. Everyone in this room falls under one of two categories. You're either a Christian or you're a non-Christian. Now, we could say you're a male, you're a female. I mean, there's a lot of one or two categories. But everybody in this room is either saved or lost. He was writing these passages here with the saved and the lost in mind. Let's look at this, first of all, for the non-Christian. What was he saying to the non-Christian then and tonight? Verse 14 and 15, We have come to share in Christ, if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. As just as you've been told, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You notice what he said in verse 14? Maybe your lack of consistency, your lack of faithfulness is just a sign that you've never been saved. One sign that you can tell if you're a Christian is that there is some consistency, not perfection, but consistency with your walk with Jesus Christ. He says, today, if you hear my voice, nothing magical or mystical about that. He's basically saying, while you have the opportunity, you need to respond to God. Maybe this evening you're here and you're not a Christian. These verses were written for you. Respond to Christ, he says. But the primary recipients were God followers, were Christians. In verse 12, he says, see to it, brothers, brothers. See to it, brothers. He was writing primarily to Christians. Look in verse 11 and 19. I declared on my oath in my anger, you shall never enter my rest. Verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Folks, I just mentioned non-Christians. Certainly that not enter my rest was talking about hell. But it was also talking about God's best for them in their lifetime. Moses didn't enter the rest. Moses is in heaven today. I promise you. In Matthew 17, it talks about, We'll just read it when you get home. Moses is in heaven, but Moses did not enter the rest, the promised land. Here's what God was saying to them and to you and me. If you don't protect your heart, if you don't keep your heart surrendered and obedient, if you don't keep trusting me, and remain faithful. You will miss what I have for you in this life. As a Christian, you're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to fall away from God eternally. But you will miss the best that I have for you. You know, I, I live with a scary thought. I, d- I just don't want to stand before God someday and Him to say, I had all this for you, but you wouldn't trust me and you wouldn't obey me. That's scary, isn't it? i are still going to get into heaven, which that's awesome. Give me a mobile home in heaven and I'll be happy for eternity. That's all I'll need. But I don't want to miss what God has for me here on this earth. What, what about your heart tonight? Are, are you a Christ follower genuinely? If you're not, we got a great solution. Just a moment. We'll help you come to Christ. We'll help you cross that line. If you are a Christian tonight, just grading yourself out. Are you an A, B, C? How is your heart tonight? How are you on the surrender and obedience? How are you on the trust and the consistency? Maybe this evening when we stand in a moment and give our invitation, you need to come, pray with a minister, pray at the altar, but say to God, God, I want my heart. I'm going to let my heart. Be all that you want it to be. Let's stand. As God leads you tonight, respond to him.